Hey everyone, before we get started, just wanted to really quickly say that this episode is in support of the Nepal Youth Foundation. We talk about them at the beginning of this episode, go into detail about why it's a great cause and why they could really use help right now. Um, so feel free to stick around to listen to those details, but also we just want to encourage you before you even start this episode, go ahead and go to www.nepalyouthfoundation.org. Check them out and see what you can do to help if you're in a position to do so. Again, more details coming, but we just wanted to throw that support out there right here before we even get started. And welcome to the podcast. Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth. Legend. Folklore. Fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers podcast. We have a special episode planned for you guys today. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be good. We're doing something a little different and it should be a lot of fun and hopefully helpful to some people. Yeah, we're teaming up with a charity for this episode, the Nepal Youth Foundation. The reason why we're teaming up with this charity or how I was alerted to this charity is my sister actually works for the Nepal Youth Foundation. She's a grant writer. And you guys have heard me talk about this sister before. She's the one who was scandalized when we messed up about the Hobbit and what <laughs> happened with like the trolls. Yeah. She's also the sister who has uh, made the art print or she, she made the Dulahan block print outline, like for me to turn into a block print. So. Yeah. And it looks awesome. I love it. It's like my favorite block print of all time. So she's pretty awesome. So my sister's always been really great about supporting the podcast. And so when she asked if we could help the Nepal Youth Foundation, give them a little shout out during the COVID-19 pandemic. Nepal right now is in a tough spot economically. Nepal is a developing economy that's actually still recovering from earthquakes that they had back in 2015. And there were plans that the 2020 Everest season was going to be really great and wonderful because Nepal has the Himalayan mountains. They have Everest. Sherpas will help people up Everest. And so that's a major part of their economy. Everest season is during the springtime, which is right now. But Nepal is in a complete lockdown. The borders oh, to China and India are closed. And so the prices of everything inside Nepal have gone way up. Um, travel has been suspended even between the different cities. And even though as of right now, there's relatively few cases of COVID-19 in the country, there's just a lot of worry that if COVID-19 did start to spread their healthcare system wouldn't be able to withstand an outbreak. So the Nepal Youth Foundation is trying to do everything they can to keep the kids that are in their care safe. Uh, there's more information on that and the work that they do with children on their website. And so far, so good with like keeping the kids like alive and safe. 
They are also doing all they can to keep the programs that they already have set up afloat during this pandemic, which is taking a great deal of creativity and quick thinking on their part. And then also they're striving to ensure that the Nepalese staff members can keep their jobs through the pandemic because we know that, you know, they'll need to keep running on this crisis as it unfolds and even afterwards. And need people to take care of the, you know, the kids. Yeah. The Nepal Youth Foundation is a U.S.-based nonprofit that works to provide Nepal's most impoverished children with what should be every child's birthright freedom, health, shelter, and education. They serve thousands of children every year, giving special attention to the most marginalized kids in Nepal. Girls, members of low castes, children with disabilities, and any other children who fall through the cracks. They're one of the largest nonprofit providers of scholarships in Nepal. There are scholarships for everything from kindergarten through trade school or university, including special scholarships for children with disabilities. They run a beautiful children's village that provides a stable home and excellent education opportunity for 80 orphaned or abandoned children at a time. And they have a kinship care program that allows hundreds more children to live with their extended family members, like grandparents or aunts and uncles, who wouldn't be able to afford to care for them without help. This makes it so that the children can be taken care of, but also still be in the care of family members if they have them. They established the first counseling center for children in Nepal. The Nepal Youth Foundation works with the Nepali people and their government on extensive malnutrition interventions in rural communities. And they built an entire facility, the New Life Center, for helping kids and their families living with HIV, AIDS, to teach them how to maintain their good health and cope with their diagnosis. Everyone working on the ground in Nepal is Nepalese, including their president, Sam Paneru. He himself is a graduate of their scholarship program. They feel that in order to ensure stability, it's critically important for programs in Nepal to be culturally appropriate. The way to achieve that is to make sure they're led by people who know the culture inside and out, who speak the languages, and who have personal, tangible interest in seeing these kids succeed. This year was actually going to be their 30th year of operation, and they were planning to kind of have a year of celebration, and they had great plans for kind of celebrating all this. But instead, like everyone else in the world right now, their plans have been kind of thrown out the window, uh, both through the COVID-19 responses in the United States and through the responses in Nepal and its neighboring countries. So if you're wondering how you can help or what you can do, there is a website to go to called www.nepalyouthfoundation, all one word together, .org backslash donate. For the cost of a tank of gas that you might not have used this month while you were sheltering in place, you could use that money to keep the food shelves stocked at the children's home. For the price of a night at the movies, a date night that you did not go on, you can help pay the heroic nurses who are actually staying in lockdown at the New Life Center to care for the five orphaned kids with HIV AIDS who are still at the facility. Most of the children have been able to leave, go back with their families, 
for the time being because it's safer for them to be in small, isolated towns away from what could potentially be kind of an epicenter if the pandemic were to get in and spread. But there are five orphaned kids who have nowhere to go. And so they are staying at the new life center and their nurses are there with them to keep them safe. And so they need food and supplies to keep them going. For the amount that you would have spent on a weekend road trip down Route 66 to go to Mr. G's Pizza, which I actually was planning to do this month, but I can't now. <laughs> um, you can ensure trained counselors can reach the traumatized children and families over the internet during a time of isolation and uncertainty. If you're unable to donate right now, which we totally understand because everyone's kind of in a different place right now with COVID-19, but you still want to help, you could consider boosting the NYF, Nepal Youth Foundation, on your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Twitch, any social media platform that you have. And they've told me if you want while you're donating, when it says what has inspired you to uh, put this donation, you can put the fairy tellers down. That's more for them to keep track of like where their traffic is coming from. It doesn't really... I'm not getting a cut of money that's for orphans with AIDS. <laughs> they just want to know if it's worth, if if we have enough pull to get anyone to donate. To donate. So uh, they could cut ties with us after. <laughs> um, just kidding. But if you have any creative ideas uh, that, you know, can help boost their signal, help get the word out. You can email them at info at nepalyouthfoundation.org. Your donation would make a huge difference, and any help that you can give could make a huge difference for these children in Nepal. And that brings us to kind of the special episode that we have planned. We decided that we were going to do fairy tales, folk tales from Nepal. Yeah. And besides being like just a great excuse to get into these, you know, folktales from Nepal, which are great. It's just like such an easy thing to say yes to during this time where so many people are struggling to be like, oh, is there any way that we can help? It's like if through doing our dumb little podcast can help even in the tiniest way, it's such an easy thing to say like, yeah, of course, let us let us help. So I'm glad that we can can do that and have a great opportunity to learn about Nepal and their culture through their their folktales. Yeah, and I thought it was actually a really great fit for us, considering one of the things that we try to like highlight the most with the podcast is how storytelling is this innately human thing that we do, and that the stories that we have can be so similar, and that we're so tied together through a history of storytelling. And so, of course... It's a great excuse for us to kind of prove our point <laughs> by giving you guys some fairy tales that are tale types that should be familiar to you by now. So Jeff is going to be telling us a story called Sunni Maya, and it is inside the book The King Who Rides a Tiger and Other Folk Tales from Nepal. It's a book by Patricia Hitchcock. And it was published in 1966. And so where I 
found those stories was on archive.org where there's like a free library. So the book had been scanned. (laughs) (laughs) So you mean you didn't actually just accidentally run across it while searching for Tiger King memes? (laughs) I was searching for Tiger King memes. And then I found this book. (laughs) And the title again is the King who rides a tiger. So it's appropriate. It's quarantine material. Yeah, it is. Again, just the timing could not be better. (laughs) So, Sunimaya. It starts once during the reign of a great king. There was a little girl named Sunimaya. And this girl was the daughter of a shepherd, Mahan Singh, and his wife, Don Jita. Which I'm probably butchering all the names of pronunciation. But I'm just so ecstatic that the Nepali people in their folktales give people names. Yeah, that is pretty exciting when you're looking like, for and they're I'm just always like, excited. Yeah, when I'm like, woman, yes, it's names. The fisherman's wife. <laughs> the- so these three, they had a, um, you know, Sunimaya, Mahan Singh, and Don Jita had a very happy life together. You know, in the summertime, they were shepherds, so they would walk with their flocks over the high mountain pastures. And then in the wintertime, before the snow kind of closed off the pass and shut it down, they would come down to their house in the valley and plant corn. And when Sunimaya was 10 years old, her mom fell sick and died. It's very sad, but expected in any fairy tale from any part of the world. Yeah. And Sunimaya, being very sad, she grieved for days and days and days. And her dad, Mahan Singh, did not know what to do to comfort her. So he decided that he was going to marry a widow whose husband had left. And this widow had a girl who was Sunimaya's age and a boy that was a few years younger. And so the dad thought, you know, my little girl will have a sister and a mother and a brother and I'll have a wife and a son and a daughter. And it'll be, you know, these two daughters and it'll be great. You know, it'll help us from feeling so lonely. Yeah. And so after they'd lived for, together for a while, Mahan Singh, the father, he knew that it was going to be difficult to take care of such a large family, his flock of goats and sheep was not big enough to really support that many people. And there was no money for clothes or peppers, which are the necessities. And as everyone knows, when you don't have any money for peppers, life is not fun. If your food lacks spice or flavor, what's the point? I agree. Again, another reason why I'm totally on board. (laughs) So one day he told his wife, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join the army so I can send money home. And then, you know, you can use that money to buy more animals and land. And when you have enough when we have enough animals and land that we can support our family, I'll come home and, ju- and stay with you. And so the stepmother, in a very unstepmotherly fashion, treated Sunimaya very well, just as well as she treated her children, at least while Man Singh was at home. But as soon as he left for the army, she started to treat her differently. And I was like, dang it, S- wicked stepmother. Yeah. Why? Stepmothers, you cannot escape <laughs> the stigma. They are. The worst. So, now that the father is gone, the stepmother, who doesn't have a name and does not deserve one because she's so mean, would make Sunimaya stay up all night and guard the flock after working all day in the fields. And instead of giving her, like, good rice to eat that she cooked for her own children, she would give her, like, rice husks to eat instead. But Sunimaya never complained. She just did whatever her stepmother asked, you know, trying to be a good daughter But one day, the stepmother sent Sunimaya into the jungle to kind of get food for animals and everything. But she wouldn't give her a kukari, which is like a knife. I pronounce that really weird. Like, I knew what I'm saying. I probably said it way wrong. (laughs) But it's like a big hunting knife. But you said it with confidence, and that's what matters. I did. People would have believed it because 
because I said it with such confidence, but then I had to like, you know, I felt like such a liar and a fake. So I had to cut myself down at the knees with a kukari, which is kind of like a machete. So she wouldn't give her um, this machete to cut the leaves, to go through the jungle. And she wouldn't even give her something called a tump line, which I guess is apparently the, um, like a cloth that you attach like to your head to carry a like bundle of whatever to carry stuff home. So Sunimai went into the jungle and she was just crying. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't have the proper tools to get this job done because my stepmother wouldn't give them to him. And all of a sudden these snakes slithered up and I started getting nervous. But the snakes asked her why she was crying. And I was like, oh, I hope they're not going to be Trixie. Because <laughs> again, you yeah. know, it's like my Western culture brain is like snakes are bad. But these snakes are pretty sweet. They're pretty nice. So they're like, oh, stop crying. You know, here's what we'll do. We'll crawl up into the trees and we'll cut down some branches for you. We'll gather, you gather the leaves that fall down on the ground. And then once you have a thing, you can use us as a tump line and carry us, carry the fodder home using us. And then just, as long as you sit us down on the ground gently when we're done, we can just go back in the forest and everything will be great. So they follow the snake's plan. She's gathering up all the leaves as fast as the snakes can snip them down. And she gets like a nice big bundle and she brings it home and her stepmother is really confused. She's like, how is she able to do this? Like, I gave her kind of a task that I thought was going to be really, really hard. Yeah. So the stepmother was thinking, you know, I'm going to have to think of something that she can't do. That'll be impossible. So then I can send her away for being disobedient. And when her father comes home, like he's not gonna be able to blame me for sending away this disobedient daughter. So a little while later, she gives Sunimaya a sieve, a sieve. Give Sunimaya a sieve, which I always pronounce wrong as sieve. I think some people say that. How no. do you say it? Sieve or sieve? Sieve. I say sieve. Yeah. So every, it's definitely sieve. So you're wrong. <laughs> I am wrong. <laughs> I so I might accidentally. I might accidentally say it's an English word even. I might actually say it wrong, but <laughs> sieve. Anyway, so she gives her a sieve and tells her to bring water from the spring back. And Sunimaya was like, this is not going to work because the sieve is designed not to hold the water. But she went to the spring and she was told and she tried to make it hold water. She was cupping her hands under it. She tried to line it with leaves. She tried to put clay in there to stop the stuff from coming. But by the time she got home in this long walk, even the best plan that she had didn't work. So she sat down on a stone near the thing and she was just like crying again but then some ants came out of the ground and they asked her why she's crying and she's like oh, my stepmother needs me to carry this water back to her but i can't do it because i'm using a sieve that's all i could that's all she gave me to do it's like what can i do and the ants are like okay calm down stop crying we're gonna help you we're each one of us just gonna sit our little ant butts on top of the <laughs> holes in this <laughs> sieve so that it can fill with water and then when you get home just let us out and We'll follow the ground and you can come back to the spring for, for more water. I think that ants yeah. have abdomens. I don't think that a butt <laughs> is part of their anatomy. Their anatomy, Head, yeah. thorax, abdomen. We have to be 100% factual <laughs> in our scientific to, terms. To ant physiology. Okay, so they would put their abdomens into the holes to block it up so they could so it can hold water. So she was so grateful for what the ants had done and she did exactly what they said to have her do. And she was able to carry water back to the storage jar that they had. And the stepmother was surprised and annoyed and very angry. She's like, this girl is way too smart for her own good. I'm going to have to find a, like a dangerous task for her to do. And so she's like, okay. <laughs> it says too, when the monsoon arrived, she told her to go back into the jungle. So first thing she's telling this girl to go into the jungle during a monsoon. Yeah. Which like, 
the first time I read it, I kind of like even skimmed over the fact I didn't even know that it was happening in a monsoon. I just knew this next part, which was that she told her to go and get some tiger's milk for her stepbrother and sister to drink. Which like, like, oh my gosh. Like, go get some tiger's milk. It just sounds like a euphemism for like, just go kill yourself is what yeah, it exactly. sounds like. <laughs> exactly. I feel like the outcome, it's the same. It's the same either exactly. way. Exactly. And that's what Sunimaya thought. She was like, I don't know how I can be expected to obey this because I'm going to be eaten by a tiger for trying to steal its milk. Yeah. And so and it's like you have to find like a tiger that had like had cubs recently and is like with cubs and going to be very protective of them. You know, yeah. it's like it's, it's like the most dangerous situation. And all of this in the middle of a monsoon. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, gosh. So she goes into the jungle with a little wooden pot. And the trail's so slippery because of the, again, monsoon that she's like slipping and falling everywhere. And finally she sat down on this big rock because she's just so exhausted. And she's crying again. You know, her tears are mixing with the rain that's streaming down her face from, again, the monsoon that she's sitting in. (laughs) But it happened that under the rock there was a mother tigress and her four baby kittens which I'm like, is this a fortunate thing to have happened or an unfortunate <laughs> thing? Time again, will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> probably going to get eaten by a tiger. But the kittens heard her crying. And so they came out to see what was wrong. And they're like, hey, 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 shh, shh, be quiet. I don't know if you know this, but there's a mom tiger <laughs> sleeping right below you. So if she wakes up, she is definitely going to eat you. But we'll help you out. We'll fill up your pot. While she's sleeping. And it was like, oh, perfect. You know, the mom tiger's not going to be suspicious of, like, baby tigers getting milk. Because that's kind of what the whole deal is. You know, baby tigers drinking the milk from the mommy tigers. That That is the whole deal. <laughs> Thank you so, for explaining how breastfeeding works. You're welcome. <laughs> I know you may not be aware of how these things go, Katrina. <laughs> so I just try to keep you educated. So anyway, Sunimai is sitting there very quiet and still while the... The tiger cubs go under. They collect the milk and bring it back up to her. And she's just super excited. She gives all those baby tigers a hug and hurried home to give the milk to her brother and sister. And the stepmother came out and saw that the children were drinking tiger's milk. And now this woman is like, okay, no, this girl's not just smart. She is literally a witch. Which, and I have to get rid of her. Like, I want to know, how does she know that it's tiger's milk? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, too. It's okay. like... But, you know, because I guess, fairy I guess tale, walking out of the woods with any kind of milk. In a monsoon. In a monsoon. You'd be like, well, she got it. She got milk from somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. It's like kind of like, okay, that's good enough. Like, she can't say, oh, she didn't. Like, if she's like, oh, yeah, I sent her away because I told her to get tiger's milk. And she and she brought back goat's milk instead. It's like, lady, you're crazy. You told her to do something crazy. <laughs> but, but the fact that she did her best, you know, that's like... Shows her go-getter attitude. Yes. It's like, you send her out for tiger's milk, and she can't do it. She comes up with some other type of milk. But no, it's tiger's milk. I just think she might have thought, too, because this girl's been so obedient and, like, truthful and honest. That's kind of what I saw it as is. Yeah. You know, it's in her character. She wouldn't come back without the tiger's milk. She wouldn't, like, try to deceive her. You're right. So since Sunimai had been able to go and get this tiger's milk and bring it back, the stepmother was like at a loss for what else she could ask this girl to do. She's like, I thought I gave her an impossible task and she did it. I thought I gave her a dangerous task that she was for sure going to get eaten and she did it. Got to come up with something that is impossible and dangerous for her to do. So she finally said to her, I need a champa flower to make some medicine. I need you to go and get me one. 
And so Sunimaya walked to the base of the mountain that rose up behind her village. And I'm not sure if you know this, but the champa flower only grows in the very high mountaintops. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, but that's what the story says. But there's, <laughs> <laughs> but there's no path and she couldn't find any like footholds in the cliff to get up there. So again, an impossible task. And even if she had tried, dangerous, but she tried to climb this cliff for several hours and she just kept falling down before she could even get like a few feet off the ground and a vulture was flying over and saw her you know in distress and again crying and he landed down on the ground in front of her and was like hey why are you so upset and between her sobs she told him the whole story and the the, the vulture's like oh pfft, we could solve this problem hold on tight and he like flies her up into the mountains and so there she is like on the back of a bird flying through the air and taken to the top of this mountain and, you know, she landed in this beautiful bed of these flowers and the girl and the bird just were like laughing because it was like apparently a really fun ride to get up there. And she's getting the task completed, which she thought was going to be impossible. Yeah. So it was a fun ride to get up there. They were sitting there looking over the valley and the vulture saw some of his relatives circling the river down below. So he's like, okay, something's going on. Because when a vultures are circling, it means something's happening. Lunchtime. Yeah. So... He's like, I'm going to have to leave you for a minute, but just go and pick the flowers and I'll come back to carry you home. So he goes over the the valley and Sunimai is watching him fly. And then suddenly she sees the road below and she sees these travelers walking up the trail. And some of them are carrying these like heavy loads and there's like a herd of goats and all this stuff. And she saw that one of the travelers was a soldier coming back with, you know, some porters that were both up other soldiers and they were like sitting down to rest under a tree and she recognized that it was her dad down below and he was coming home from leave and she was like oh bah bah which means like father father like it's a really bah is such a like a cute nickname for dad yeah like let's like par yeah pa bop and i listened to this really cool podcast talking about like the how most languages how it develops is either a like a pa or ba anyway yeah no and then mom's is Usually like a mmm sound. Yeah. Mom. Mum. Which is crazy. Yeah. Anyway. So she's like so excited to see her dad. Oh, ba ba. She's shouting, jumping, and waving her arms to get his attention. But forgetting where she was at the top of a cliff, she loses her footing in her excitement, <gasps> slips, and falls to her death. No. And I'm like, uh, her what? That was a real abrupt twist. <laughs> the end. No, just kidding. It gets worse. That would be horrible. <laughs> so, Mon saying her father, the word of him coming back had already reached the village, so people were coming out to see him, and they'd come across Sunimaya, and they came to tell him of the horrible news of what had happened. And so when he saw her, he was so sad. He carried her body to a place near the river, and he buried her there, and his... You know, his sorrow kind of turned to anger. He was like, what was she doing up on this like high cliff? That's super dangerous. So he went home, went to his wife and he was like demanding an answer. And the lying stepmom was like, I don't know what she was doing up there. I told her not to go up there, but she wouldn't obey. Oh dear. I knew something very bad would happen to her if she went up there. I can't believe she would do this. It's like, oh my gosh, she's the worst. She's like, she was never quite the same after you left. It's like, oh, she even tried to carry water in a sieve. I was like, oh my gosh, it's bad enough that this girl died doing what you asked, that you're like making fun of her for the stupid impossible task that you gave her to do. Yeah. So when the evil stepmother, which it says explicitly in the story, and I 100% agree, evil stepmother, (laughs) 
thought that she'd calmed her husband. She cooked him a big meal. She like set him down, gave him something to drink, started rubbing his tired legs from this long journey. But you know, his he was still kind of angry, but then that fell back into sadness just for the loss of his daughter. And he was planning on staying for a, a while, but he stayed only for a week before he returned to the army. He kind of needed to be away from there. But then after a few days, after he had left, this like golden pillar shot up from the ground from where he'd buried Sunimaya. And a blacksmith saw it as he was passing by and he was like hurried to go and tell the king. He's like, what is going on? And the king's like, bring this thing back here. We got to figure out what it's worth. Why is there a golden pillar? And so the king was like in awe of this thing. And he's like, we've never seen anything like it. And so he reached out to feel it for himself. And as soon as he put his hands on the pillar, like a reverse Midas, boom, <laughs> turn the pillar Midas. <laughs> back into a beautiful young girl who is Sunimaya. And the king was like super excited because guess what had been happening? The king for a long time had been trying to search everywhere for someone that would be a suitable bride for the prince. And he was like, you know what? We finally found one. Like in this magical golden pillar brought a beautiful bride for my son back here. And so everyone was super excited. And, you know, this was the oldest son. So it was going to be potentially the future queen. So they had like a big party. They started preparing wedding preparations, preparing wedding preparations. <laughs> they started preparing for the wedding. <laughs> No, they were preparing the wedding preparations. And then after they got those prepared, then they'll use those wedding preparations to prep for the wedding. To prepare the wedding. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. So they started preparing for the wedding. And news of this wedding was spreading throughout the country. And the wicked stepmother heard this and she was super disappointed because she was always hoping that her daughter would like marry the prince and one day be queen, which is like, how, what? high aspirations this woman had yeah you know like what what how, how did she have that hope that her daughter would ever marry the prince and like become the queen of nepal i have no idea but she apparently did so sunimaya and the prince get married and lived happily ever after yay except that's not what happened because there's still plenty story left to go yay so <laughs> Several months later, I'm assuming probably nine, they were announced the birth of a son to the happy pair. I'm and everybody in the nine. country. <laughs> 10, 11, 12, you know, I don't know. So, at least nine. Everyone Thank you in the for explaining in- now how babies, like, how long they take to make. That's what I'm here for. I mean, for the fairy tales, you teach me about fairy tales and folklore, folklore and I teach you about, you know, child rearing. That's perfect. So yeah, the whole country's invited to this big party to celebrate the naming of this child. And so the wicked stepmother was like super excited to see, probably to like mock the princess who had married him and all this stuff. But she was like so shocked to see Sunimaya sitting next to the prince holding a baby in her arms. So the stepmother returns from this feast and goes to her daughter. She's like, oh my gosh, you will never guess who is like the princess and who's the who gave birth to this baby, it's Sunimaya. And they're like, what? You know, probably really confused because again, they thought that she was dead. Yeah, that's usually But then it turns out happens. she's actually the like princess now. That's really confusing. It's like a rags to riches story, but it's from like <laughs> decomp to riches story. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, but the stepmother, again, she's obviously really mad and she's like, oh man, like to think again that this 
my stepdaughter is going to be like the queen who's going to rule over us all. She like couldn't stand it. And then she was like thinking her evil thoughts. And then she's finally like, you know what? To her daughter, you look enough like your stepsister that you could be twins. Which I'm like, I sincerely doubt that. But anyway. No, especially because they share no relation. Yeah. Like the the mom had those two kids. Which, do we ever hear about that boy? No. <laughs> They're like, at the beginning, like, they have a daughter and a son. You hear about him when he's drinking the tiger's milk. That's the last oh, yes, I think we true. hear of him. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's interesting that they're like, oh, you look just like each other. I'm like, they share no common DNA. What a strange coincidence. Yeah. But anyway, so she's like, you look enough like her, you could be a twin. So why don't you go to the palace tomorrow to visit her? And then once you're acquainted, you can invite her down to the river for a swim. With evil air quotes around it. A swim. <laughs> And maybe she'll just have an accident. <laughs> Evil air quotes as opposed to like the normal ones. So I can remember the girl who's married to the eldest prince will someday be the queen. So she's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, give him the old bait and switch. So the husband the daughter, will never know. Yeah. Uh, the husband will never know that his wife has been replaced by someone that he's literally never met before. But the daughter having been raised by this evil woman who'd grown up to be just as wicked as her mother. Only hope that we have left in this family is for that, that little boy and hope he was actually came to be a good person. Anyway, so this girl, the daughter, the, the stepsister, would have done anything to be queen. So she's like, heck yeah, I'm on board. So the stepsister, fully on board with the evil stepmother's plan, packs up her bags and goes to visit Sunimaya. And so seeing her, Sunimaya was actually really happy because they'd been raised as, you know, siblings. And Sunimaya had a lot to be happy about now being, you know, princess and having a beautiful baby. And they're like, oh, you know what? The stepsister is like, we should go for a walk. It's like such a sunny day. Let's go to the river and, and bathe together. And so Sunimaya's like, I can't think of any reason to stay at home. Which, jealous for those days. And you're like, oh, no good reason to stay at home. We can just go out and do something because we want to. <laughs> that sounds like paradise right now. <laughs> So she strapped her little son to her back and they left the palace and they reached the river and the stepsister's like, hey, the water over here is much cleaner. I think you should go in here. And you know what? I'll hold your baby who does have a name because all the good people have names. And the baby's name Excellent. was Lakshman. So the stepsister's like, you know, I'll hold baby Lakshman for you while you take your swim. And then you can hold him while I'm taking my swim. So Sunimai didn't realize that her evil stepsister was luring her to her death in a trap. And so Sunimaya handed the baby to her stepsister, got undressed and started going towards the water. But the stepsister poof, pushes her in. And so the princess loses her balance, falls in and then just sinks out of sight. And so the stepsister really quickly gets dressed in Sunimaya's clothes and puts the baby on her back and runs back to the palace. So when the stepsister arrived back at the palace, everyone, including the prince, thought that this was Sunimaya. And only the baby didn't know that this was his mother because when it was time for him to nurse, he would get frustrated Why, and start Jeff? crying very loudly. And again, that's because yes. the stepsister had not had a baby, so mm -hmm. she was not lactating and could not provide milk. Oh. For her child, is that, which I told you was going to come up again is that in this where, story. Is that where breast milk comes from? <laughs> Meanwhile, 
back at the river, Sunimaya is sinking down deeper and deeper into this pool where she comes to the home of these two large water snakes. And when she sees them, you know, she's been raised right. So she bows politely to each of them. And like the male snake was like super surprised. He's like, oh, when you were coming down here, we were totally going to eat you. But like you greeted us with so much respect that we kind of want to spare your life, but just for three days. <laughs> they wanted to, our, they wanted to thank her, but like <laughs> within reason. Just, yeah, exactly. They're like still hungry. So as is the snake custom, they're like, you, you were allowed three days of life left. So that night, thinking of her son and how he must be missing her and be hungry, she tells the snakes about the situation. She's like, hey, can I go back to the palace to nurse my son? And I promise I'll come back. And the snakes are like, yeah, you can go, but you got to be back to the river before dawn. So she agreed and she goes to the palace and she's like sneaking around trying to avoid being seen. She hears her baby crying. She sneaks on in, feeds him and then sneaks back out. But there was a tailor that was working in the palace, staying up super late because he was making like a vest for the king or something like that. And he was like, hold up. What is going on here? Like, why is the princess sneaking into the, her, the nursery of the palace? Yeah, she lives here. And why is she waiting so long, apparently, to feed him until like the middle of the night? When this baby's probably been crying for all day. Yeah. And so like the tailor was really puzzled again in the morning when he saw her leaving. He's like, why is she sneaking out of here? So the tailor's there working all day by sundown. He still hadn't finished with the vest. And again, he's just about to put his work down for the day in the middle of the night. And he's awoken by the cries of the baby again. And he's like, Oh, why is she not feeding this poor baby? Then he wakes up, goes to the window and he sees her Sunimaya sneaking back into the nursery. He's like, okay, this is really weird. And he starts, he walks again when she leaves in the morning, he's like, this is so strange. Like when the prince wakes up, I'm going to tell him all about this. So he tells the prince and the prince is like, okay, we're both going to watch tonight. And if this woman comes back, we're going to catch her. and We're going to make her tell us what she's doing. Cause she's obviously not my wife. And so that night the prince and the tailor are hiding near a balcony waiting for Sunimaya to come back. And again, around midnight, baby Lakshman starts crying as usual. Cause he's very hungry. And the tailor and the prince take notice and they see the woman circling back up again. And the tailor's like to the prince, like here she's coming. And they both watch her sneaking up into the nursery. And so once she's inside, the baby stops crying. The prince goes up and he looks into the room and then he sees Sunimaya holding the baby. And then seeing her, he realized, oh my gosh, this is the real Sunimaya. This is the real mother of my baby, not this other crazy lady that's been impersonating her this whole time. And she, the prince just keeps watching her and she sees that when Sunimaya finished nursing him, she bathed him with sweet oil and laid him very gently in the cradle with tears in her eyes, kissed him on his head and decided to leave. But when she reaches the door, the prince is there and he like catches her and she's like, please, please don't stop me. He's like, I need to go back. I need to go back. The snakes gave me three days left to live if I could come and visit the baby, but I promised I would return. And it's like, if they keep my promise, they'll spare my life just a little bit longer. But the prince wouldn't let her go, takes her inside, makes her tell her everything that had happened. And so Sunimai doesn't return to the snakes, but the stepsister who'd been living there had gotten in the habit of waking up early because she didn't need to wake up in the middle of the night to feed her baby and go for walks. So this morning at her usual early morning time, she goes out and is walking in the garden and the sun comes up and these snakes 
who are very angry that Sunimaya had not kept her promise, come out of the river and they see this stepsister walking along and they're like, that's her. So they grab her and drag her back into the river. And so the palace hears this woman screaming and they wake up and they see the snakes dragging the girl down to the the river. And they're like, oh no, the princess, the princess, princess, get your uh, kukaris, your knives, and we'll go get them. And then when they see the princess is actually standing there on the balcony, they're so relieved. And they were like, it was just great rejoicing, seeing that the real Sunimaya was back and was standing by her husband's side. Stepsister was eaten by snakes. I love that they're like, oh, good. It was another lady who was taken by snakes. It's like, oh, it wasn't the princess. We thought this was going to be a problem, but it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Stepsister eaten by snakes. Stepmother banished from the kingdom forever. And now, Sunimaya, her husband, and little baby Lakshman were able to live happily ever after. And the baby... Lakshman never went hungry again. The end. Yay! Yay! That was an awesome happy ending, except for that stepsister. So, Jeff, what tale type did that remind you the most of? Obviously, this reminded me of Cinderella. I started reading it and was like, really quickly, like, oh my gosh, like, this is like Nepali Cinderella, 100%. And it like really was. Yeah. I mean, I could list the things, but it's just like everything the animal helpers, the evil stepmother that makes her do all these chores, the stepsister. Even, I, I didn't think that it was going to end with, I mean, it really throws you for a loop when she dies right in the middle of the story. <laughs> yeah, that is You're like, oh, like a wait a sec. <laughs> I didn't realize that, you know, the folktales from Nepal were going to be so dark. <laughs> yeah. But then it goes into her, that is like the vehicle by which she becomes the princess and marries the king yeah. and like even has the stepsister who's trying to like interfere with that. It's so, so crazy. Well, And then what's also interesting is there's this element uh, in some of the European Cinderella stories where something magical gets planted in the ground, like the mm-hmm. tree branch that then becomes like her mother's spirit that gives gifts or like, yeah. So there is kind of like an element of like something gets buried and then it becomes magical. But what's interesting and this one is instead of like it being like a plant that then gives the Cinderella character like clothing. Yeah. The the it's the persecuted heroine is what the tail type is called. So instead of the uh, persecuted heroine getting like like a gold dress, in this one, no, she straight up just is a golden pillar. <laughs> <laughs> she she's not a gold she doesn't get a gold dress. She is gold. And then what's really fascinating to me also is because we've kind of talked about how marriage is a theme that comes up a lot because the romantic bond between two people is just a human story of like people bonding together, creating family units. And that's how that's how civilization survives is uh, people fall in love with each other and (laughs) have babies. And nine, 10, 11 months later. Yeah. Well, Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so what's interesting to me about, you know, in this kind of tale type that we're used to hearing when it comes to the heroine being like kind of presented to royal court or whatever, it's the prince who falls in love with the princess. And this one it's interesting to note that the king sees how beautiful this girl is sees you know she goes from gold to being like a a good person like a gorgeous person with a kind heart 
And yeah. he says, you would make a great wife for my son. And like, Oh yeah. Said, I didn't even really think about that while I was reading it. The yeah. whole, like they didn't fall in love, but it was the King who said, you are going to now marry my son. Yeah. Um, that he had been looking for a suitable match for his son. And that just kind of reflects the, uh, the, how marriages are arranged and situated. Yeah. And so, which I think our, the royalty in real life that we had, like back in Europe, also had that situation of like the yeah. king is making sure that there's the best logical match for their children or like themselves. For the good of- yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's interesting to see that reflected in the story of like just this kind of like side element of like the dad being like, oh, you would make a perfect wife for my son. I will arrange this marriage yeah and so and it is interesting that they're like that it reflects the reality well what i assume might have been the reality of how the royal you know marriages and stuff would have worked where like you brought up in europe that was the same situation that was happening but in the fairy tale version like the prince and the prince and the princess fall in love you know it's like yeah they're giving this like unrealistic kind of situation to their story well, Which is, but it'll even, be interesting to know why or if there's any reason behind it at all. Well, what's interesting is in European fairy tales, when it's flipped the other way around, when it is like a hero being given a woman, it is yeah. like that. Because usually what happens is in that case, the king in those stories usually has a bunch of daughters. And when the hero does something he feels deserves one of his daughters, he give he's like, oh, you're good enough for my daughter here. Take right. a daughter. <laughs> yeah. It was like his way of like rewarding the the hero for the her, whatever heroic act they were doing. Yeah. And so it's like in European fairy tales, we kind of do see that sometimes. But usually if the story is yeah. about a woman, the man is like struck by her exceeding beauty and marries her. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I'm sure there's a lot there. It's those little, there's a lot there to unpack, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yeah, there, anytime you're looking at a tail type and, and how it gets like interpreted in an area, it's so interesting to see those kind of like little subtle differences or even the choice of like animals and tasks. Yeah. I was going to get there as well. Like it, I, I liked the, again, the specificity of the culture that you could tell was there. Yeah. Like they're talking about things like even the flower that they can make the medicine out of. And, you know, it's like maybe people from the culture would actually know that as a flower and they would know that it grows in the mountains. Or maybe it's like, a it's not a real flower. I don't know. You know, but people in the, yeah. in the culture would. And again, the choices of the animals, like tigers, again, not something you see a lot in Europe. Also, I wanted to ask if the bird, that portion of the story with the bird that lifted her up, if that reminded you of any other tales that we've recently covered. Yeah. I actually didn't think of it while I was reading it, but yeah, the, uh, from, um, Hassan of Basra. Yeah. Hassan of Basra. I couldn't remember what his name was, but I remember the Basra part where he got lifted to the top of the mountain by the birds. It was like, Oh wow. Yeah. And so that story came from a thousand and one nights. And so to me, I, my brain kind of connected those of like, I can easily see how that story, stories from A Thousand and One Nights, can easily travel to Nepal because Nepal is like on one of the northern borders of India. And so, of course, like tale elements, folktale elements from 
Thousand and One Nights could easily pop up uh, inside of the folk tales in Nepal. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. The other thing about kind of the specificity of the animals going back, we kind of brought oh, it up yeah. in the middle of the story, but with snakes, like the first snakes that she runs into into the woods are like good. They help her. And then there's some snakes that are like kind of bad ish at the end, but they're still kind of good at the same time. And the fact that they let her survive. Yeah. And part of me wonders if like the differentiation there is that they're water snakes. Yeah. Are water again, snakes more poisonous? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, I don't know much about, again, like the fauna of Nepal. But like you think about in the United States, you can imagine like, oh, if there's like a garter snake that you run into when you're in like the woods. Again, you can run into poisonous, venomous snakes in the woods in North America. But, you know, it's like, you know, you think of like water moccasins or whatever, like live in the water. Yeah. I wonder if there is that differentiation of, oh, you run across a snake in the jungle. It's going to be like a constrictor or something that's not going to that be that harmful to you because you're too big to be its food but you could come across like a venomous water snake or something i yeah. don't know but what's interesting is some of the other tales that i was reading there were cobras that when a person did kind things for the cobra it helped the person oh interesting yeah, yeah and cobras are definitely like if you're thinking of the actual wild animal. Of like poison wise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like venomous that will kill you. So But and I don't know. Part but of me cool. wishes that I knew more stories about um uh Hindu gods, because I know uh Shiva is connected to cobra snakes. I'm not sure in what way, because again, I haven't totally studied that history and so part of me wonders if that is something that's going on there of like if since snakes are connected to this god if mm. then they're kind of seen as more good in their stories that they for sure have. because yeah. i know like in western uh western culture when we think snake if you're thinking of mythologies, you're going to go to the yeah, Bible. The Bible. And then snake, snake is like is the bad. devil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, which is why it was interesting. Again, like you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but it was one of those things that really stood out. And it was like, okay, this is an area that is different. And there's a lot that could be learned here if we were to dive deeper and, and, and to try to learn about it, which yeah. is what I love about these folktales from around the world yeah is that when you point out those differences of like how people perceive different animals or different cultures perceive different animals it gives you a glimpse into like kind of the next question of like why why are they different and then it kind of sends you down that like wormhole of like trying to figure out like why are they different what is to be discovered here one thing that i thought was interesting about the ants Helping with the sieve, besides that it's just like a great visual to like <laughs> yeah. think about, um, was how in some versions of like a European Cinderella story, you'll have the beans that are scattered everywhere that yeah. then insects come and help pick up, which we also connected to Cupid and Psyche when Psyche was doing all of these quests that she was being assigned from Venus or Aphrodite. Yeah. And one of them was to take these, like all of these seeds and divide them 
millet, barley, like all of these little seeds, poppy. Yeah. Figure it out. Um, and all these ants came and organized them for her. And so it's interesting to be like, okay, Cupid and Psyche has these little insect helpers in it. And then all like this story in Nepal, this like kind of Cinderella tale type in Nepal has insects that are helping her with a seemingly impossible task. You just blew my mind too. Cause I hadn't even thought to connect it to Cupid and Psyche. Cause I one forgot that detail, but two, when I think of Cupid and Psyche from what we've been doing, we've been doing that as part of like the lead up to beauty and the beast, beauty and the beast, which it has so much of that, but it's like the second half of that story totally is the stepmother forcing her to do these horrible and impossible tasks to get rid of her so so that she wouldn't like marry the princess or or prince or what like it's just like oh my gosh yeah why this is this story is is both like a Cinderella story and connected to the Cupid and Psyche story and it's just so crazy how inter intertwined all these things are yeah and how like different tale elements will get like pulled out and like moved around and like puzzle pieces <laughs> that are just constantly yeah, it's, just, like floating it's really cool but i like this story a lot i thought it was really cool i want to see a movie version of it someday yeah so in the book where we got that story it's called the king who rides a tiger and other folk tales from nepal by patricia hitchcock and I wasn't able to do a whole lot of digging to figure out who Patricia Hitchcock was in relation to Nepal, like what her connection is, because we've talked about how that's important when you're looking at where a tale comes from and how it got translated and given to us, whatever language it's being presented to you. Um, so I don't know a whole lot about her, but in the introduction to that book, One thing that she talked about was how the people in Nepal would live. And especially like back when kind of these oral stories were being like created and percolated and stuff. And one thing that she put in this book was that, you know, all through the year, as long as they can be moving their cattle and planting their crops, you know, they're out, they're busy, they're doing all of that stuff. But then when the winter comes and the snow is falling on them, they go into their homes and they sit around fires and they start to do all of the home handicrafts that they need to do. Blankets, clothing, all of that being weaved and sewed. And they sit around a fire and they would tell stories to each other. And that is just something that happens everywhere in the world Uh. that anytime people have to kind of sit down and get those sitting tasks done, whether it's because it's cold outside or because it's the rainy season and you can't be planting any of that time when you have to sit and do those crafts, there always seems to be a storyteller who wants to sit and entertain people and just play with their imaginations and create art through storytelling. And it doesn't matter what part of the world that you are in. That is part of your cultural heritage is storytelling. And so wherever you're listening to our podcast, if you're feeling separated from everyone else because of the pandemic that's going on and going around, 
Just know that culturally, we're never alone. We're all connected to each other through this global pastime. And if right now you are able to be thinking about Nepal, the people who are there, if you are in a privileged enough position to donate, or you are in a safe place that has good internet where you can amplify the voice of the Nepal Youth Foundation, we want to encourage you to go and to donate. So if you want to donate, you can head over to www.nepalyouthfoundation.org backslash donate. And we're going to try to, you know, put a link to that anywhere that we can put a link to that. So wherever you find us, we'll try to be connecting a link that will get you there. So if you can donate, donate. And if you don't have anything to donate, but you can raise awareness by putting the information out there on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, anything that you have where you can give a shout out. Don't link our podcast link to the Nepal Youth Foundation to donate. That way people don't have to listen to our podcast to get information or do anything. We want them to go directly to the Nepal Youth Foundation. And so, yeah, if you could share that link or donate or both, that would be fantastic and greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. While they're up there, the vulture, who's kind of circling around again, seed a bunch of... <clears throat> seed? <laughs> Been hanging out with four-year-olds and a two-year-old for weeks <laughs> has done nothing to help my English language abilities. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh, turns out we're all regressing. <laughs> <laughs>